0: Money matters. In this lesson, we're going to look at the matter of money and understand that money matters. A lot of the teachings in this session is from the Haggai Institute. In the year 2000, I attended a life-changing program on stewardship and wealth management from the Haggai Institute. And a lot of what I'm teaching today is what I received then. The truth holds true today. So I would like to honor... Koshy Verghese, who taught me and who gave me these notes and want to give him credit for really changing the quality of my life. So I hope that as you are going through this, the life that you lead will be blessed abundantly. Now, one of the things that I find that a lot of people struggle with is really how to handle money and whether money is important. We have to understand that the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself, we need money for ministry we need money for the things that we need to do we need money for as a tool now if we don't have the tools for what we want to do then we are slowed down we struggle with doing some of the stuff that we need to do so in this lesson i want to look at money matters often we see that people assume that people with a lot of money are not spiritual and the people who have no money are extremely spiritual, which is sometimes called the poverty mindset. And sometimes it's the other way around that people who have a lot of money, they're considered to be physically blessed. So these are things that we find and we see. I heard a story years ago and um, it's not a real story, but it's, it's an example. Uh, let's say a young boy, well, let's call him Johnny. You know, he goes to a youth retreat when he was 10, 11 years old. He gets touched by the Lord, mighty touch of the Lord, understands that he wants to serve God uh, with all that he has, with his entire life. His parents are happy. His parents are so thankful that he got saved at such a young age. And um, they're excited because during his teenage years, he's not going to get himself into a lot of trouble. He becomes a worship leader within this church. He serves in the youth ministry. He teaches Sunday school. Excellent young boy. This little Johnny is. Johnny grows up. He goes to college. He decides to go to Bible school. Um, As he goes to Bible school, he meets this amazing young girl. Let's call her Lisa. Lisa and Johnny are now excited to start their ministry. Johnny comes out of college. He's somewhat, uh, maybe say 30,000, uh, dollars in debt because that's what Bible college costs in some places. He comes out of Bible college, um, goes into an urban area, inner city. Uh, and as he's ministering there, he has to get his own funding for things. Lisa and Johnny get married. They have kids. Let's fast forward five, maybe 10 years later. They don't have enough money to, for their own houses or their car is old they're struggling financially and because of the financial struggle johnny and lisa they're fighting and there's strife in the household Um, there's no way to increase income now this is often the story of a lot of ministers because we don't understand the importance of money Um, every pastor knows Um, Some pastor who's left the ministry because of lack of funds. um, There was a survey done that 70% of ministers know people who have left ministry because of a lack of funds. Many ministers don't plan financially or they plan the bare minimum on how to live a fruitful life and they struggle. You know, a lot of us don't understand that there is requirement of financial wisdom. And that's what I want to speak about, about money matters. A survey was done by an organization in the UK called Relate.org.uk, I think it's called. And they said that 26% of UK adults say that money worries is one of the top issues for relationship strain. So I think all of us can benefit from learning from money, how to handle money. One of the first scriptures I want to speak about is Luke chapter 8, verses 1-2. Three, it says here, after this, Jesus traveled from one city and village to another. He spread the good news about God's kingdom. The 12 apostles were with him. Also, some women were with him. They had been cured of evil spirits and various illnesses. These women were Mary, also called Magdalene from whom seven demons had been cast out, Joanna, whose husband was Chusa, was Herod's administrator, Susanna, and many other women. They provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. Let me read that again. They provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. See, we need money to operate, and even Jesus needed financial support. I... Go back to the story of Johnny and Lisa. Johnny and Lisa, if they had understood to work financially and to be independent of certain areas, they wouldn't have struggled so much and they would not be facing so many unnecessary battles. And so in this lesson, I wanna speak about stewardship. Stewardship is the responsibility to manage the resources entrusted to us by another. In our case, it's the Lord. The Lord has entrusted us to manage resources, and that is really the beginning of stewardship. We have to give accounts of what talents and what resources that we've been given. All of us have to give accounts in one way or the other, and we have to give account to God. Spurgeon said this once, and I want to read it out, that each of us will give an account of our stewardship regarding our time, our talents, our substance, and our influence. Spurgeon himself, hundreds of years ago, knew that we would have to give an account of our time, our talents, our influence. If I were to ask you today, how is the management of the resources that God has given into our lives, where would we be? What would we say? So I want us to increase in the levels of management. I want to increase in our skills of management. I want us to thrive. Luke 16, verse 8 says this For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, Jesus is introducing a thought here. He's saying that the businessmen of the day, the sons of the world, were more shrewd than the sons of light. That means the sons of God. That there was a difference in level of shrewdness between those who served God and those who weren't. And he was not necessarily approving of their conduct. But what he was saying was he was approving of their shrewdness. He was approving of their wisdom. Let's look at Luke 16, verse 9. It says, Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Jesus is saying, use the, the resources you have to really to determine an everlasting reward. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Jesus transferred the principle of the parable. He was reminding us to use our present resources for the advancement of our lives in the time to come. Luke 16, 11 says this, If you are untrustworthy in worldly riches, who will trust you with true riches or the riches of heaven? So what the Lord is saying is, He who is faithful in the least and the things of the earth, money is considered one of the least things. Who is faithful in the least will be entrusted with the much. So, if we cannot be faithful in the lesser things or even the least things, how can we be faithful in the other things? So, if we are false and unfaithful with our money, our physical lives, then the Lord says that we will be unfaithful with the things of our spiritual lives, true riches. Now, I'm not a Greek philosopher, neither am I very well versed in Hebrew or any of these things. But somebody once told me that there is a difference between Greek philosophy and the Hebrew philosophy. In the Greek philosophy, there was a hierarchical level. That means the spiritual level was higher and the physical was at a lower level. So physical low, spiritual things high. The Hebrew thinking was that material things were blessing from God and as blessings from God that we are called to enjoy it. So stewardship is understanding the biblical basis of how we are to use the resources that God has given to us. So the first thing, one of the first biblical principles of stewardship that we should look at is understand that God is the owner. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, "...the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness." the world and all who dwell therein. Acts 17, verse 24 to 25 says this, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25 says this, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. God is creator and as creator, he is the owner. And the second thing in terms of biblical principle is that you and I, man is the steward. Genesis 1:27 to 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on this earth. Genesis 2.15 says this, And the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. God's gift to man is delegated authority. You and I are stewards of this earth and everything therein because God is creator. Now, our Wealth, our possessions, that is what God has given to us. Now, how we define wealth and how God defines wealth may be quite different, really. Man looks at wealth as the aggregate or the combination of the physical wealth that they have, personal property, cars, um, stuff, basically. The abundance of material things and money is what often people assume is wealth worldly things that we desire to possess. That's what we think is wealth. But God's definition of wealth is actually very different. It's not just money, it's everything that makes a person. According to God, wealth is a sum total of everything that makes us, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms all together combined to make what is wealth for us. So when we look at the Bible, we often find that the word wealth and riches are interchanged. We think that the rich man can't enter into the kingdom of God. It's tougher than going through the eye of a needle. But when we studied, we'd understand that often it's the attitude towards money that determines what our heart's treasure is. So I'm going to just look at briefly the difference between riches and wealth. Riches corresponds to a self-indulgent heart. When we think that um, that the resources that we've been given is for our own self-indulgence and riches in that kind of context will suffocate us. Uh, it will not allow us to grow spiritually. Look at the young man, the young ruler that meets Jesus in Luke chapter 18, where it says, the young ruler here had an unholy value for the wealth that he had, and it actually separated him from his destiny, from walking with the Lord. And so he was called the rich young ruler. His riches prevented him from coming to Christ. But wealthy are those who understand that the resources and the things that they've been given are actually gifts from God and they want to use it to actually advance the purposes of God. They want to use their resources. They want to manage their resources and their possessions in a way that will honor God. That's the right attitude towards wealth. We appreciate wealth as a blessing from God and use it to glorify Him. For example, in the Bible, in Acts 16, we encounter a wealthy woman called Lydia She used her wealth for hospitality. She provided support for missionaries. And from her house, that became a a starting point for actually the advancement of her kingdom in her region. Paul and Silas were able to use the resources that God had given Lydia. That is wealth when we honor God with our possessions. So according to God, who was really wealthy? When you have a good family, a good home when you have good friends, all of this is considered wealth. When you are able to use the talents that God has given you, that is wealth. When the Word of God is living and you believe it to be true, that is unlimited resources, true wealth, because faith will move mountains and make the impossible possible. That is wealth. When you have the promises of God, it's riches in Christ. Wealth is fellowshipping with God, Wealth is opportunities to serve God. Wealth is understanding that there is an inheritance that is coming. There is a return of investment for what we've done in the time to come. That understanding is is also wealth. So wealth is not just money. It's a sum total of everything that makes us, our talents, our time, our resources, our health, the physical beings, the natural things we have, the spiritual things we have. A lot of that together is our wealth. There is no morality associated with wealth. We often think that there is, but there isn't. The morality of wealth really is what we do with it. First Timothy 6.10 says that, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. So it's not money, it's the love of money that is the problem. So when it comes to maybe thinking about the morality of wealth, there are a few rules of thumbs that I would follow. I mean, if you look at Proverbs 23 verse 5, we'll understand that. That do not put your trust in wealth. Put your hope and your trust in God. For He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our resource. Secondly, don't be arrogant about wealth because it is God who gives us the ability to make money. When we read Deuteronomy 8.18, we say that He blesses our hands with the ability to make money. Be rich in service and in attitude and in the things that we do and in deeds. You know, we are the workmanship of God according to Ephesians 2.10. So God has called us in that kind of good workmanship, in, in, in terms of good service. So that is the morality you know we we have to understand that we're called to be servant hearted and the fourth thing i would say is to be generous to be willing to share that, that which we have so if there is any morality is first we have to understand that we should not love money we should not trust in money but trust in god put our hope in god that we should understand that the ability to make money comes from God and that to be rich in the service of the advancement of the kingdom and to be generous, that is what we're called to do. So we have to understand that we are stewards of this kingdom and we're stewards of all the resources of the kingdom that God has given us. And we're called to be good stewards so that when we get to heaven, we can hear, Well done, good and faithful stewards. So, money does matter, and money is a tool for us for the advancement of the kingdom. A Christian steward should be a diligent representative of his master, fully responsible to him, and not a passive caretaker. So, I believe that we need to be active. In our responsibility to steward the the funds, we need to learn how to invest it. We need to learn how to grow it. You know, some of us would say, oh, I only have one. And so we kind of hide it in the ground. But the Lord Jesus himself said, no, that's not what we should do. Even if whether you have 10 or whether you're five or even if you have just one, we should actually learn how to increase that which has been given because the kingdom of God is about increase. I heard a man of God say that our attitude towards money reveals our attitude towards God himself. I mean, look at Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. I mean, Jesus himself is comparing the relationship man has with money and comparing it to the relationship people have with God. So there is a comparison that himself has made it. In Matthew 6, Jesus, he says this, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything else shall be added to you. So there is a prioritizing and a choosing of God and his kingdom in the things that we're called to do. So when we understand and look at it, I think if Jesus says that we can't serve God and we can't serve money, that means we need a check to see who we're serving. Who are we meditating? I heard another man of God say that Who we think on or what we think on, or what we meditate on, that's what we're worshiping. You know, worship is associated with thinking and giving worth to something. So if we're thinking about money more than anything, then we are worshiping money. So our attitude towards money often does determine our attitude towards God. So let's understand what this means in our Christian life. So A, I want to say money is a gift from God, as well as everything that we possess It is a gift from God. The children that we have, they're a gift from God. Everything that we have, they are gifts from God. So we're called to honor God with that which he's given. And we're called to give it back to him. So our worship is often incomplete without giving to God, without a generosity in our giving to God, without giving money to God. You know, so honoring God with our finances and our lives is really seeking God first. And when we honor God with our money, we become blessed in it. Look at Proverbs 3 verses 9 to 10 and says this, honor the Lord with your possessions. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Our attitude towards money does reveal our attitude towards God. And God is asking us to honor God with our wealth, with our money. There is a reward in giving God first. He blesses us. Even though most of us work hard for our money, we must understand there is God's hand in it. A single day cannot be extended in our lives without God's blessing. He's the one who puts breath into us. And really, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So in terms of wealth management, understanding the stewardship of finances, one of the first steps is really having a generous spirit of giving. Giving is essential. Deuteronomy 14.23 And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to take you, in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. One of the purposes of tithing is for us to honor God and to learn to put God first. A lot of people come to me and say, I tithe, I give to the Lord. Really, technically, when you go through the Old Testament, tithing is not giving. Tithing is just returning to God what he has given you. Now, if somebody gives you $10 and um, says, look, you can keep the nine, but give me back one. And when you give back the one, you're not saying, I gave you one. You say, I'm returning the one. And that's tithing. So we have to understand the nine is ours to keep, the one is ours to return to the Lord. And then anything we give on top of that, whether we're giving two or three or whatever it is, that's actually giving. So technically tithing isn't giving. Remember in in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 42, the word of God says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much, then one widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. This is a good example for us to learn that Jesus looks and observes how we give. Not only how we give, but also what we keep. And he evaluates the true intrinsic value of the offering that we give. You know, um, and I'm going to be speaking a bit later on how to give, what to give, and all of that. But there are certain safeguards to giving. The Lord has commanded us to give. One of the promises that you find in Malachi is that the one place God says you can test me in this is in giving to him. So not only are we called to give, but part of what we're also called to do is we're called to save. Saving is biblical. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. In this period of um, that we're living in, a lot of people like to give everything away. Some people like to give nothing away, but like I said earlier, what we give matters and what we keep matters. Money does matter. And so I'm speaking on this topic and I'm saying we as stewards of the kingdom are allowed expenses or what it, the technical term is called allowable expenses. So we are allowed to have provision or we should have provision to meet our present needs. Look at First Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, that's what the Lord Jesus says that as parents, we're supposed to provide for our household. We're supposed to work and make money. We're not always supposed to wait for the ravens to come and feed us. So, um, there is as parents, as heads of households, or whatever we're position we are in, we are called to take care and provide for our own. It's a biblical principle. So afterwards we must have provision for our present needs. We should have provision for our future needs. Now if you have children, 2 Corinthians 12 14 says this for the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for their children. See, this is extremely important to understand that we are called to have, if you look at even the book of Psalms, we understand that I'm allowed to have savings for my children and my children's children till my grandchild, basically. And my child is supposed to have till her grandchild. So that means that each child gets a double portion At least, you know, so we're all expanding and growing in terms of resources. Saving is biblical. So when I grow old, I should have laid up enough treasure or wealth for me to survive and also from a child. So there's a wisdom and understanding. And I believe that you may be wondering, how will I do this in my current situation? Nothing is impossible with God when we understand that there's a stewardship of wealth we can really come out of debt and come into positive and into savings. So let's at least take steps towards that. So we are to have provision for our present needs and we're to have provision for our future needs. I believe that God has entrusted us to multiply our resources. Look at Matthew 25. You know, verses 14 to 28, there is the parable of the talents where God is looking to see whether we are multiplying resources. So saving is important. We are answerable to God, the owner, for all the expenses that we have, you know, and but we're also expected to have savings for our present needs and our future needs, and to expand the resources. So now there's no specific standard for this. There are rules of thumbs. You need to prayerfully determine how much you want to save, how much you want to keep. You can pray with God and do that. A good rule of thumb is look for your satisfaction of your needs, not for the fulfillment of all your wants. Continuing on savings, I want to look at another scripture, Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer or ruler provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. I really like this because people come to me and say in the New Testament, there is no tithing. You know, there's no specific rules as in the Old Testament. But look at the ant with no captain, no overseer, no ruler but understands the principles of saving, understands the principles of how to handle resources so that she has food when the season is drought. So I want to reiterate this point. We need to save purposefully for short-term needs. Going back to our present needs, we also have to save for emergencies you know, like we need to be prepared. We shouldn't be running helter and skelter when something happens. If something comes up and we need extra money, of course, the Lord can provide a small emergency fund at that time. But if he can provide at that time, he can provide it at this time. We need to learn how to build up so that we don't go into debt at a time of emergency. We must learn to spend with discipline. It's good to learn to budget and also understand where we spend foolishly. All of us have our pet spending spree, so whatever it is, it could be um, technology for some, it could be clothes for the others, it could be shoes for somebody else. I don't know what it is, but discipline in spending is a good way to create saving. But let me say it's also okay to spend on things that we enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God doesn't usually call us to spend only on the bare necessities. He most certainly gives us permission to spend on things we enjoy. He also likes to give us a desire of our hearts. So spending on things that we enjoy in discipline and prayerfully is a good thing, which will allow us to continue serving God, feeling that we are called into a place of blessing. For example, taking a vacation, plan well. I love my spa days, I'm just saying, you know. So we must also be careful that we're not saving too much we can't create a dam in the kingdom. Money and resources should flow freely in the kingdom of God. So there's also the the flip side of saving, where we save too much for this rainy day, and we are not moving in faith, you know. The money that God entrusts us to use for now, we should use it now, because some seed, I'm telling you, will actually die off because it hasn't been used. So rather than use some seeds in the future, we can use them now and give it. So there is a lot of time spent with God prayerfully considering wealth. This is where prayer is our guide always as we honor the lord with our wealth and with our resources really we'll find that god will trust us with more and when we certainly don't hoard money god will release more funds into our lives this is what i've seen and i've seen with people who are good stewards so as i come to the end of this session one of the things i want you to look at really is to sit with the lord and look at your biblical view of money What are the levels that money affects your happiness? I like what Billy Graham said. He said, if a person can get his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Selvin Hughes said this, remember this, you can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. Yes, money matters. You know, money is a tool that God has given us, and I pray and hope That God will give you the tools for this season. Be blessed.